Howdy and welcome to the inaugural episode of Your Dog's Best Life. My name is Leanne Eric and today we'll be introducing my primary partner in crime, Emily Magnuson. And uh, just a little bit about what this podcast about is about. We are going to talk about dog stuff. Um, I'm a dog trainer and a certified veterinary technician. Emily is also uh, trains her own dogs as well as being a certified veterinary technician. And Maggie, who we're going to introduce later, is a professional dog trainer as well. So we're mostly going to talk about dog training stuff, but other geekery will certainly come into play. So today we're going to introduce Emily, talk about her history a little bit, kind of get a feel for who we both are. And we're going to start off with the coolest news ever, Emily Go. No, we have four new baby puppies in the house. They are so all exciting. of three days old. They're little bugs right now, right? They're yeah, they're bugs. basically they're basically just little little hairy lumps. So all boys, all girls. It was one they and are, the other, right? Yeah, they are all boys. Oh man, completely bizarre. And two merles, two black tries, two blue merles, two black tries. It could not have been split any better all the way around well congratulations that's awesome and i guess we can start off with the fact these aren't even your puppies these are you are raising them using puppy culture for the breeder correct correct so So we have kind of a, a sweet arrangement as far as i'm concerned because as interesting as i find pedigrees and uh like different breeders and the background and the lines and where they're from and how they originated and working lines versus show lines versus I find it interesting, but I really cannot wrap my head around the minutia of it. Um, and that's, that's what the breeder does. She's fantastic. She does the research. She finds the best matches, you know, she makes the, the plans for everything. And then once, um, once we have a breeding, I get mama and I'll have her, I have her here usually about a month and a half before puppies come along. Um, and then I get to bring them into the world and, and raise them. So I get the fun part as far as the I'm best concerned. Part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You didn't do any marketing. You don't have to find them owners. It's awesome. Yeah. Yay. So, okay. So we were going to start this officially. So I guess start off first by saying what, it is that you do now and then let's start off with how you got there um so what i do now is i am a program manager for a nonprofit, um an international nonprofit called pet partners um, they're a registering organization for therapy animals in the united states and abroad and they just recently started opening chapters in different parts of the country to kind of help organize their their overall um, mission, which is improving the human-animal bond. Um, And Tucson is, well, Arizona is one of the chapters. Um, So I I get to help make those connections for people, which is super awesome. I love it. Um, And I was very lucky because I transitioned out of the veterinary world. I was a vet tech for... 26 years, I think. Wow. Yeah. I I tracked down the vet in my teeny tiny little town before she had even opened her practice and was like, I want to work for you. 
And so I've been doing it since I was about 16. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in some capacity or another. And yeah. And so it just got to the point where when you become, when you reach a certain life experience, life, life, uh, level, <laughs> if we're talking, <laughs> if we're talking, you know, level leveling up, um, getting down on the floor and restraining a St. Bernard. <laughs> Not fun anymore. There just comes a point where your body's <laughs> like, bitch, try me. <laughs> and there becomes a real question about whether you're going to get up or not. And so I just kind of, I, I saw the, the signs on the hill and I went, this isn't something that I can keep doing for until retirement, which will be never because the pay of a vet tech does not allow you to ever retire. No, you're, you're there forever. Right. So, um, you know, I was, I was just lucky that I was able to kind of stay in the animal field while transitioning out of the job that was going to make some knee surgeon very, very rich. Awesome. Okay, so so we start off in in the veterinary field, and then so I guess the uh, another the good follow up question would be, what is during the twenty six years? Mm-hmm. What what changes did you see in, um, occurring in the industry and, you know, for the better, for the worst, for the worse, for, you know, better care for the dogs? I mean, you went through a long, I mean, there was a huge amount of change because I was, I was part of that change because I was in the latter, the latter part of that change. I haven't been in the vet industry 26 years. So um, what would you describe as kind of the bigger changes that you saw? You were always small animal, right? Yeah, you, it's always okay. yeah, no, it's always been small animal. Um I would say the the biggest change I saw was the quality of medicine being practiced. Um literally when I started, the philosophy was animals that were spayed and neutered didn't need pain meds because it helped keep them quiet. I remember and, that. Yeah, and so we want them quiet. We don't want them, you know, running around being crazy. So if they're in pain, then they'll just lay there and and they can heal. So it has gone from that to we are going to be giving pre-meds before surgery. We're going to be doing line blocks on spays. We're going to be giving meds after surgery. There will be, you know, laser therapy to help with inflammation. Like we've come a really long way in compassion I think in veterinary medicine both for owners and for animals so I would say that would that would be the biggest the biggest change and I think a lot of that was driven by pet owners wanting more and asking more questions for for their pets yeah that's true I could see that so if there were speaking of pet owners if there were one thing that you would say to a dog owner when it comes to veterinary care, what do you think is the absolute number one thing that anybody owning a dog needs to know about veterinary care, about picking a veterinarian or about, or about taking care of their dog or any, any of those things? Um, you know, what's funny is my, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is ask them if you can go back into the treatment area. If they tell you no, find a different vet. 
if they tell you, oh, well, you know, that we can't for insurance purposes, that's probably not true. Find a different pet. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because there should be absolutely nothing that they do that they feel the need to hide. So there shouldn't, yeah. Now, I can understand from, obviously, from being in that profession, there's certain things that the average pet owner just won't understand if they see happening in the back. So an animal, sometimes when they wake up from anesthesia, they have a really rough wake up and there's, you know, hollering and screaming and flailing and, you know, general panic. Um, most of the time, the animal is completely unaware. It's just a reaction to the anesthesia. But if you saw that and you didn't know that, it would look really horrific and traumatic. And I can see from a veterinary standpoint, not wanting people to see that. But from the mo for the most part, there shouldn't be anything that a vet is going to do to your animal that they don't want you to see. So, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, well, I'm just gonna take him in the back and get his nails trimmed. Well, why can't you do it in the room? Are you gonna are you gonna manhandle that animal in a way that I don't want to see, or I'm I'm we're just gonna do a blood draw, you know I'll take him in the back. Why can't you go get a tech to come to the room and help you? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just makes me real uncomfortable. And anymore, there's no reason. Um, so, if you're looking for a vet, I would say look for one that has transparency in their procedures and protocols and is more than happy to explain and share what they do and why they do it the way they do. Okay, awesome. And that leads us to obviously the internet exists and there's for every piece of good information out there, there's 75 pieces of absolute utter garbage when it comes to veterinary care, dog care, any care at all. So <laughs> what do you think, because <laughs> with your history of being a veterinary technician, what do you think is the is the thing that folks shouldn't i don't shouldn't worry is i mean there's a lot of people who are worried about you know is their dog food organic or is it grain free and now of course it can't be grain free because of of cardiac issues and um you know if if i were coming in with a puppy today to you and I said, what's the number one thing I can do to make sure this little puppy lives to be an old dog? Mm -hmm. What would you say? Um, I would say make yearly appointments with your vet, even if they aren't due for any vaccines. Make sure that you have that open line of communication with your vet and don't think that any issue that you come across is dumb. So I've had, I've had a number of clients come in and say, well, I've seen them doing this for a while, but I just didn't think anything about it. Well, maybe it is something, maybe it's not. You know, there's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and asking the veterinary staff or sending an email and being like, hey, this is what I see going on. Is it worth, you know, having it looked at? Um, I can tell you that our clients that come in on a regular basis that we get to know, you know, they have a much better chance of, of catching things early than the ones who just come in for their shots once every three years. And that's the only time we see them. 
Yes, and that's true. And they're also the ones, and this sounds horrible, but these are the ones, they're the ones you're going to, you're going to fit in on a uh -huh. busy Friday afternoon when they call you at 3.30 no, because a javelina attacked their dog. No, absolutely. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's that connection. Like, it's just human nature. If I don't know you from Adam, then there's no particular reason that I want to bend over backwards to make an exception for you. But if I know, you know, look, this person is on their animal all the time. They know what's going on. They know it's normal. They know it's not. And if you call me and say something's not right and I'm freaking out, even if you can't put your finger on it, I'm going to know they, they know their animal. And if they're freaking out, something's going on. Like, come on in. So just make sure you have that relationship with your vet. And, you know, the other thing, too, that I will tell people is it's okay to have more than one vet. It really is. It's okay to have a vet who is a fantastic surgeon. And you know that if your dog ever has any surgical issue, that's who you want to go to. And it's okay to have a vet that you're like, no, this is my go-to general care. You know, they're fantastic with my dog. They're going to do great with the vaccines and the, you know, just the normal upkeep stuff. Um, I mean, I'm enough of a nut that I would break it down into, you know, I'd want a vet for surgery. I'd want a vet for general care. I want a vet for <laughs> dentals. I want a vet for behavior stuff. I want a vet, like, just like human medicine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is okay to have more than one vet and you don't have to be ashamed about it and you don't have to hide it. We don't care. You know, like we just want to know where to get the records from. <laughs> we need them. So, um, but yeah, that's, 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 Part of it is just part of being your your pet's advocate is seeking out the best care. Very cool. Okay, so the thrust of this podcast is going to be not just dog um, husbandry and, and care, because we aren't, neither one of us are veterinarians, but a large part of it is going to be about training and behavior. And obviously the veterinary technician, you <laughs> were on the front lines mm -hmm. for all the charming problems that people face with their dogs. So where did you start with training? I mean, did you have a, ch a childhood dog or parakeet that you started training with or what led you on your training journey? So I started way back when um, with our family dog, which at the time was called a mutt and now would be called a cockapoo. Ooh, fancy. Fancy. It was fancy. Her name in the shelter was La Plume. We, we changed it to Lucy. Because oh. we're normal people-ish. <laughs> um, and so I got some archaic book out of the library, and I was like, I'm going to teach my dog. And it was, you know, if your dog does something wrong, correct it. That's okay. it. That was yeah. the sum total of the, the training. <laughs> the knowledge. Knowledge. <laughs> here's a choke chain. Here's a dog. Figure it out. Yeah. And it took approximately, I don't know, 10 minutes for this otherwise largely unintelligent lump of a dog to go. Anytime I do anything, I get yoked. So I'm just going to sit here. And she just refused to do anything. <laughs> She's like, no, no. Nothing I do ends well. I'm just going to sit here. And so that ended the childhood career. Of <laughs> Your show career ended yeah. where it started. <laughs> right, right. 
so that that was pretty much it. And she got to be a farm dog for the rest of her life and just hang out with us and occasionally run away and go on adventures and eventually come back, as you can do as in a dog in the country. Yeah. Um, but I was always, I was still always fascinated by like, how do people get their dogs to do those things? Um, so fast forward to my 20s when I got my very first dog because it was like this magical thing that happened when I suddenly looked around and went, oh, I'm a grown up. Mm. I can have a dog if I want to. So what do I do? I get oh, a dear. beagle. Oh, good call. Those are fun. <laughs> better, better, better. I get a beagle at six months of age that it had spent the majority of its lifetime in a pet store. Oh, that sounds so special. <laughs> you want to jumpstart your training career? That's how you do it. Um, but again, even then, this was the late, late 90s, early 2000s. We signed up for a training class. I kid you not. The woman was German. And it was another like yank and choke kind of class. Like we got through about four classes and we were working. I distinctly remember we were working on downs and he did a beautiful down and he laid there and he sniffed every ounce of astroturf he could reach without actually moving his body. And the instructor came over and said, you can't let him do that. You have to flick him on the nose in her wonderful German accent, which I'm not going to try to replicate. Oh, bummer. And she reached down and she flipped him on the nose where he, of course, leapt back in surprise and was like, get away from me. I'm like, so you just broke his down <laughs> because he was sniffing. Yeah. And I didn't know much about alternatives, but even to me at that point, I was like, well, that's just dumb. <laughs> so... We took a little bit of a break, and then we met another trainer who was fantastic. And she did put dogs on choke chains, but it was mostly treat-based. It was more of a, I think, security thing than anything for her to have them on a slip lead. Um, and we did a lot of practice with that. Um, there wasn't much success, but that's mostly because of the dog and not the trainer in this particular case and and i say that because i was asking a beagle to do things like beagles just don't have any interest in doing so all right maybe it was a trainer <laughs> and yeah. then so we we kind of plotted along in this half and half world for a little while um until i got my second aussie and i was on a message board which was like, oh, yeah, I remember those. For the kids in the audience, that's what came <laughs> along before chat groups and before Facebook and before, <laughs> yeah. Modern era. That was Modern back era. during the day of stage coaches. Almost, almost. Yeah. And so I was on this message board and somebody had mentioned, and it was just for Australian Shepherds, and somebody had mentioned something about clicker training. And I don't know where I went to learn more about it, but wherever I went made the association of like training whales, right? Right. With the, you yeah. whistle and then get a treat. And I was just like, oh my fucking God, yes. Why <laughs> did nobody explain? Yes. Oh, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. And so I like, even then, this was 2001, 2002. Um, I couldn't find 
a clicker easily. Right. Pretty sure Amazon didn't exist. And if it did, it no. was just books. Right. Um, I don't think it did. I don't think it existed. Yeah. So I couldn't find a clicker easily. So I used a pen, like a click top pen. Right. Yes. Um, and got right to work with my first Aussie. And he was still a baby at the time. He was, I think, I think I started with him right when he was a puppy. And it was like crack. It really was like he'd sit and I'd click and I'd treat and he'd go, oh, okay. And he'd sit again. And it was just like, you understand we're communicating. And he's like, okay, crazy lady, just keep the treats coming. And it was just so fun to see like what, what I could get him to do just with treats and happiness and motivation. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I found another Aussie person who was also training um, who happened to live right down the road from me. And she's like, oh, you think that's cool? Watch this. And she introduced me to Rally, and it just kind of went from there. And it was just this, like, snowball of how much can I learn about what people are doing with dogs? Um, and just the excitement of, okay, I got my dog to do this, but how would you do that using clicker training or positive reinforcement? Like, it was like this problem solving thing. And at the time, the whole world of clicker training was new. So it was like, okay, I need my dog to lie down, you know, 15 feet away from me. How am I going to do that? And, right. you know, how am I going to train that from a, from a positive reinforcement perspective? And so watching people work through all these behaviors that traditionally had been done um, with, with punishment or coercion, and and find a positive based way to do it. It was just fun. It was fun to me. It was like a study in psychology, only it was dog psychology, which is I know a twitchy phrase. I just watched your eye twitch and I can't even do this. <laughs> no, I'm totally cool with it. <laughs> but it was. And it was just it was just fun to me to watch it. And then, you know, things like Sue Sternberg came along and started showing videos of behavior and um, like shelter behavior and, and things like that and, and dismissive stress behaviors. And I was like, oh, shit, that behavior actually means something. That wasn't just a shake-off. That wasn't just a yawn. That wasn't just a turn. That wasn't, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and then you just find yourself, you know, staring at your dogs for hours until they get stressed out and go lay down somewhere. <laughs> They're like, oh, oh, that's our crazy lady spying on us again. Why is she looking at me poop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somewhere so there's somewhere there's a somewhere there's a study that shows it. I believe that shows that dogs poop on a northwest or north south axis. No, I think you're. I think you're right with the west because the west I had in my head. Okay, maybe you're so, right. It's it's a east west or north south. It's an axis. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. of the two. They're magnetically driven. Um, but the downside to all of it is, as much as I find it fascinating, I also have large amounts of procrastination and executive dysfunction issues. So I find it fascinating. I think it's great. And I probably could train my dogs to do just about anything, but I don't. It's work. It's work. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the cobbler's, the cobbler's son has no shoes, right? Like... <laughs> There's these things that drive me nuts about my dogs that I could fix if I wanted to, but just the sheer knowledge that I could if I wanted to is enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and so I don't actually do it, which, you know, at least I'm honest about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, oh, so you mentioned Aussies, and I know that's mm -hmm. your breed of choice. So how did you end up um, running down that particular rabbit hole, breed-wise? So one of my jobs in, in amongst the many, um, for the brief amount of time that I lived in Colorado, I helped, I worked at a doggy daycare, huge doggy daycare. And so it was kind of this great crash course in all the different breeds, right? Yeah. That you could that you could get to know. Um, and there were a couple of Aussies that came in that I was just like, that is my kind of psychotic. And so, and there was there was a couple of them. And I'm going to be real honest, most of them were kind of assholes, and I loved it. I don't know why. I mean, not in a mean or aggressive way, just in a, you know, yeah, I got a ball. Bossy way. Yeah, I got a ball. You want a ball? I got a ball. Look at this ball. It's the Sucks best ball. Sucks for you. Too yeah. bad you don't have a ball. Yeah. You're not as cool as me. Sucks for you. Yeah. <laughs> it just it just made me laugh. Um, and so my first Aussie, um, we had gone to the shelter to drop off food. And we all know how that ends. Like, yeah, I can see how that ends, yeah. All know how that ends. And the shelter in Colorado Springs, um, it's, it's amazing. And it had just opened when we lived there. It was brand new, state-of-the-art facility. Um, and it really was. It was it was beautiful, and I'm sure it still is. Um, but we, so we just walked through, right? And there was this beautiful blue Merle Aussie. And for those of you that don't know the breed, they do this thing called smiling, where it... If you had no sound, it looks like the most vicious snarl on the face of the planet. And the way the shelter is set up there, you had no sound because the people were behind, like the dogs were behind two levels of protection. So there was like a viewing glass and then kind of a hallway and then the kennel. So you couldn't really hear the animals at all. So there she sat in her kennel, wiggling and bouncing and running around and smiling and occasionally barking because she's an Aussie, right? Aussie, so yeah. yeah. So it looked, if you didn't know the breed, like she wanted to rip your head off. And so I was like, I want to see that dog. I want to see that dog. And they're like, yeah, sure. So they put us in a room and they brought her out and she wiggled into the room smiling and like C curved herself into our legs and promptly melted into the floor. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's perfect. And she, like, we did all the things you really shouldn't do with a dog you just met. Like, I picked her up. I squeezed her. I hugged her. I messed with her feet. I messed with her ears. I'm really, really lucky I didn't get bitten. And she, she was just like, that's cool. That's fine. Do whatever you want. You know, you're the best people in the whole wide world. And so I was like, well, um, we were about to have two beagles and an Aussie. And they're like, well, she's on a hold, so. Oh, you know, that was for, mean. I know. I'm like, she's up for adoption tomorrow. And so the next morning, I think the shelter opened at 9. And the next morning at, like, 8.15, I was standing outside the door because they had, like, three other people interested in her, and it was first come, first serve. Oh. Yeah. So, but we got her, and she came home, and she was you know, practically perfect in every way. 
Um, and then after that, I was just addicted. So have you strayed off of the Aussie path? Yes. You know, as, as, as happens with many breeds, um, one member of a group leads to another and Aussies are the gateway drugs <laughs> to border collies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have currently in my possession uh, that I own, I have two Aussies, a border collie, a chihuahua, wow. and a pit bull lab mix thing. Now I'm gonna be perfectly frank, the chihuahua was a social experiment. Okay, um, you need to go on about that one. <laughs> what kind of social experiment was your, was your okay. chihuahua? <laughs> so what comes to mind when somebody says chihuahua? A small shaky dog. Who bites and barks, oh, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, when it's yeah. not shaking, it's yes, taking your arm off at the elbow, or at least somebody trying to. Somebody says Chihuahua, absolutely nothing pleasant comes to mind, except maybe Taco Bell. Um, and we had a, at the time that I, I got him, I was working, uh, managing a boarding kennel. And we had this tiny little dog that came in. And she was, she happened to be a Pomeranian, but she was maybe seven pounds soaking wet. And her name was Bubblegum. Well, that's and actually a really cool name. It really is. And she was just the picture of sweet just absolutely loved everybody she could go for a snuggle or not she could go out in the yard with the big dogs she didn't care she was not a yapper she kept her kennel clean like she was just pretty much perfect and i was like well damn little dogs can be cool all right i wonder <laughs> so I could not find in my area at the time a tiny little Pomeranian, so I went with a tiny little long-haired Chihuahua instead. And for the most part, he is pretty much not a Chihuahua. Um, you know, if I leave him out in the yard, he defends his little, his little area and, you know, alerts us to people passing by. So he is kind of barky that, right, that way. But I can hand him to anybody. He doesn't care. He will try to stick his tongue up your nose. Um, I did not, I refused to pick him up for the first two weeks. Now, when he came to me, he weighed 2.2 pounds at eight weeks Oh, he's weeks a wee age. little squirt. Aw. Yeah. He has matured into a sturdy six pounds. Ooh, he's huge. He's, he's a Hulk. Um, but nobody was allowed to pick him up for the first probably, I said two weeks, but it was more like two months. Nobody was allowed to, to pick him up. I'm like, no, he has legs. He's going to learn how to use them. He's going to learn how to walk from place to place and, you know, not be terrified of the world. Um, and he did for a very long time. And then he started to reach that age where he's like, oh gosh, stranger danger. And so anytime he would like start to snark or snarl, I would just pick him up and hand him to the person. And he's like, ah, well, uh, okay. Um, and it's like, you know, it's like bullies on the internet, you know, they're all big talk until you're face to face <laughs> with them. And then they're like, hello, sir, how are you? <laughs> I don't know that that's a recommended positive training method, but in this particular case, not. yeah, in this particular case, it worked really well for him. So, um, so yeah, he's actually a cool little dude. Um, I don't know that I'll ever have another tiny, tiny dog like that again, but um, he's been a lot of fun. 
It's been a lot of fun. And he's just as easy to train as any of the herding dogs. Like, he picks stuff up super quick. The only real difficulty I have with him is he gets full really fast. Oh, yeah. You can't sit there with a cup full of kibble and... No, no. So the, the one trick I found works great for him is um, frozen chicken broth. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, he just gets, you know... Get, he gets a lick. Yeah, yeah, a couple of licks and away you go. Yeah. Well, that's actually very clever. Yeah. So, but Aussies are my jam. They will they will always be my, my go-to dog. They're just so versatile in my mind. No, I mean, yeah, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. So... Um, we won't explore. So I guess we will. So what was wrong with Border Collies? <laughs> What's wrong with you that you don't prefer Border Collies over Australian Shepherds? <laughs> I, What's your personal failing? That <laughs> okay, the polite version is I am not enough human for my Border Collie. Um, but... Life with a border collie is best summed up at the one time that my ex was standing there trying to get him to go in his kennel and the dog was staring at him, doing that derpy, slow tail wag. Like, I don't know what you want, but you're pretty. <laughs> oh, God, so I recognize that. Yes, and he's yelling at the dog, go to bed, go to bed. Why won't you go to bed? What the hell is wrong with this dog? And I'm like, you're standing on the wrong side of the crate. <laughs> It's not the just, command. He looks at me, he goes, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, stand <laughs> on the other side of the crate. So he literally, like, just turned and stood on the other side of the crate, and the dog's like, oh, go to bed, got it. And he went right in, and I was like, oh, my God. That's what they're like. That's really what they're like. Or the time that he barked at my car in the driveway for 20 minutes because I parked in a different place. Well, I just, that is so wrong. I just can't believe you would do such a thing. That is... Neither could he. Yeah, I can understand. He's justifiably horrified by your inconsistency. Yeah, which which generally sums up our training overall. (laughs) He's generally horrified by my... my... (laughs) He's calling the American Border Collie Association every other week. I need out of this home. Can you rehome me? I need out of this home. She hasn't trained me in over 24 hours. I, I... I'm forgetting everything I know. <laughs> and I mean, like, I'm, I might have gotten a broken one. It's, I mean, it's entirely possible <laughs> that mine was dropped on its head. But his favorite activity in the whole wide world is to walk around the house with his nose on the butthole of the nearest cat. And then he'll just follow them around. Oh, my hours God. And hours and hours. He'll follow them around. <laughs> When my dogs do that to sheep, I call them proctologists. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the cats don't care, which I find fascinating. But I'm yeah, like, I think right, I'm worried well, more about me more worried about the cats than the dog. As long as that keeps you happy. <laughs> He's hoping they'll turn into sheep. He can't believe he doesn't. Or is it a he or she? Is he? Yeah. He can't believe that you have been so rude as to make him not live in a home with sheep. That's just I, well, that's true inexcusable too, but... on your part. And so he's stuck with cats. Which don't herd worth a damn. I, well, yeah, no. But <laughs> I had a friend with a border collie once who, back in the days of message boards, was like, okay, here's my issue. How do I fix this? And there used to be these things called VCRs. That oh, I've heard of those. Yeah. They're like yeah. a tape of some kind, and you put it in a box, put the tape in a box, and it plays. Right. 
Yeah. Right. And the, the real fancy ones had, right. The real fancy ones had clocks on the front. Ooh, that is fancy. That and is her fancy. border collie was staring at the VCR because approximately every 60 seconds, the numbers would change. And so she would sit there and stare at the, at the VCR until the numbers change and then wag her tail furiously and then settle back down and stare at the VCR for 60 seconds until the number changed again. <laughs> and she's like, how do, how do I fix this? How did do you I say, fix this? Did you say duct tape over the letters uh -huh. or numbers? Oh, yeah, yeah okay. it was electrical tape, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Throw the whole dog out. <laughs> Keep the VCR. Chuck the Throw dog. the whole dog out. Yeah. <laughs> I have to interrupt so. you because I just I just told somebody a story and it reminds me. So, because we were talking about VCRs the other day, and I was saying that when I I, I had a, a mare and I was going to breed her, she was an Andalusian. I was going to breed her to an Andalusian stallion, and I was looking all over for an Andalusian stallion that I could afford the breeding stud fee for and who I liked. And I, I finally called this stud barn in Colorado and I was going to get, um, uh, I was going to buy a, the semen from this horse. Uh -huh. And they sent me a VCR cassette, yeah. right? They're called cassettes, a v, right? VHS cassette yeah. of, yeah. The of the stallion. And I had just moved. And honestly, I had no way to play this. I had to go to my sister's house, go in her daughter's room, play it on her bright pink Barbie VCR <laughs> and her daughter's like mommy why is Annie Ann in the bedroom and my, my sister's like she's looking at a video of a horse and I was shocked that the woman couldn't send me a DVD but it was right at that moment when probably recording it on DVD would have been very costly and it's like mm -hmm. can you imagine now you, you own a stud barn you can put 7,000 videos on YouTube and it costs you nothing you know yeah. no shipping and handling yep. No, putting it in an envelope and me, you know, walking down to the, ah, oh, just, just amazing. Technical. I know. I love it, man. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's just so funny. We, like, I used to think people that grew up in the, like, in the, like, late 19, like 1918, 1920s, those people that got to see the industrial revolution and all that came afterwards got to see so much change in the world and oh my god how amazing it must have been like or my my grandmother even who was born 1922 i believe just watching the world change as much as it did and i'm like yeah, we're never gonna see that again and now i'm like hmm i carry a computer <laughs> in my back pocket wherever i go <laughs> yeah you have more power in your pocket than the apollo space mission had yeah i you know what's funny is i just remember i remember when cell phones had went from, you know, those bag phones that you used to carry in the car mm -hmm. to... Well, I didn't have that. I wasn't fancy like you, but Gary, Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, they went from those to, like, the flip phones, right? Yes. I thought it was cool. I had one of those. Yeah. I remember saying... And then when the flip phones morphed into Blackberries, and that was high, high technology. Oh, that was massive technology. Yeah, I never yeah. had one. I was never that cool. I remember... And this is when we were in Colorado, so 1999, 2000. I remember saying to my ex, I want a cell phone. Like, I think it's time. I, I want a cell phone. And I remember the freaking intersection we were at because he said to me, he goes, I'm not getting one of those things until I can check my email, get online, 
uh, make a phone call <laughs> and, and send a text. And I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. And now I'm like, son of a bitch. He was right about that, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I just remember thinking, like, that's, that's just ridiculous. It's never going to happen. Oh, well. That's the best. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we kind of went off track, but that's okay. We won't Shocking. die. So I know, I know it's hard to believe. So, so when we had a conversation about this podcast and starting it, and after the waves of fear and terror uh, oh. went away, what um, I don't know what part of what things do you what things most interest you about our let's try that again. What, what kind of conversations do you find the most interesting to listen to and what in dog behavior and dog anything do you find the most fascinating right now or just kind of generally? In general. Um, so for me, because I am a lazy trainer, the things I find fascinating are the trainers that can take complicated behaviors and break the training plan down into really simple steps Um, because we all know that there's trainers out there that can do really complicated things um, that can focus on the minutiae and you know the different learning theories and what's applied where and and all of that and that's fantastic I don't have I'm not knocking that at all. I think that that is needed and amazing and and how we make advances. But I'm also a practical person with a full-time job. And so the people that can take those same behaviors and go, all right, well, here's your foundation behavior that you want, and then you're going to add this in, and then you're going to teach this, and then mix them all together, and here's your complicated behavior. And the people that can do that and see it, I love that stuff, and I love like how did you how did you get from point A to point B, um, you know? And there's a couple of couple of trainers I know as friends who are fantastic at it, and I'll see them start training these um, foundation behaviors, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't really see the point of that, but they're doing it really well, so all right. And then you know, a month and a half later, they post a video, and I can see that foundation behavior in in this complicated, you know, <laughs> chain of of events. And I'm like, oh, son of a bitch! All right, yeah, <laughs> I never would have. Wow, I never would have thought of that. So I love that, and I love people that are not esoteric in their dog training, who are real people, who are like, you know what? it ain't pretty and you know it's probably not the smoothest training in the world but this is how we got here um or who admit that you know they've they've screwed up their dog by training something this way instead of another way or i don't know i just i i understand that it's a uh competitive field um and there's not a lot in the way of recognition so it's really hard to post videos of your screw-ups, those trainings that just went horribly, horribly sideways. That we all know happen. I post all of those. Yeah. 
<laughs> and yeah. I do it especially with no head. That's where my talent really lies, is in videos where I have no head. Well, it's nice because then they can't see the face you're and making they don't know at your who dog. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just see my dog like suddenly going, what, what the hell are you doing? What do you, why are, why, why are you doing that? You're an idiot. And, like, and I used to get like, <laughs> I used to get so frustrated um, with my dog when that would happen. Um, and so angry, like, why don't you understand what it is I'm asking you to do? And now I just laugh because I'm like, well, I'm fucking this up six ways from Sunday, aren't I? All right. <laughs> so what do you want to work on? Because clearly you don't understand what it is I want to work on. So what are we going to do today? And I swear that has ended up with some of the best training sessions ever. Um, when I'm like, when they don't know what it is I want and they start offering some completely oddball behavior and I go, all right, sure, let's learn that. And we go from there. Um, I mean, I still get frustrated sometimes, especially if, like, I'm trying to train for something. Um, like when I was just trying to do the, the video for later's last leg of Rally Navas. And do that. we're in Arizona where it gets to be 127 degrees by 10 a.m. So I have to video. I have to be up early. I have to look semi-decent. I need to get the lighting just right because otherwise the shadows, are huge, yeah. the shadows are huge. I have to try to get the entire field into my video. And I have to get my signs from falling over. I have to make sure that, you know, the traffic isn't too loud because we're right on a busy street. Um, all of this stuff, pray to God that the neighbor homeless doesn't come by and try to start a conversation in the middle of the video like there was there was all of these things and the least of my concerns but the biggest problem was what my dog was going to do oh yeah the dog oh yeah yeah screw up with the dog <laughs> so that was one time where i really had to have a talk with myself because i'm all stressed about all of these sort of things so of course she picks up on it and we start to do this honestly pretty simple rally novice course and she keeps jumping up and trying to bite at my fingers which is her like that's her go-to what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing what are you doing what are we doing like I'm not communicating clearly what I want from her mm -hmm. and so it was you know like okay mama needs a minute <laughs> how early is too early for alcohol yeah, and, and so it was just like, all right, here is what we're doing. Because, of course, you, you know, when you're videoing, you can't hand out treats, you know, in the middle of the, which was also setting her off because she's like, oh, we're training, but you're not doing any, like, you're not feeding me. And yeah, that's you suck. weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had to do, like, five minutes of puppy push-ups and stupid, simple behaviors and, you know, like, all these huge payouts. And then, then I got her brain back. But even something as simple as that, you know, I was trigger stack to the point of I am going to yeet you over the fence into the neighborhood and let you run wild and free because I just can't <laughs> and I you know I wish that I wish that there were more people who train dogs who were like you know what it's okay to not like your dog some days it's gonna happen yeah I think that, I, I agree I think it's I think that trainers as a whole and I get it you're right we 
We're a very insecure bunch because there's partially because there's no governing body. There's no one to uh -huh. prove or disprove that you know what the hell you're talking about. And because of that, I saw it in the horse industry too, is, is everybody's very jealous of, of their skill set and everybody else's skill set. And, you know, you don't know what you're doing and I know what I'm doing. And now in the era of immediate quick videos, I mean, I think I shot five today and being able to delete, oh, just right. I shot 10 today and deleted five. Mm -hmm. And and quick editing, I mean, not for me, but other normal people can edit a video really quickly. And that 20-minute video of you screwing up and accidentally messing up your dog can be distilled into two minutes of just spectacular training. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a lot of pressure. I think it's a lot of pressure on people who don't know better. I think it's a lot of pressure on other trainers who younger trainers who are maybe coming up who think that that's the way the real world works is that somehow you your dogs are magical every single time you train them when right. in fact 90 if it wasn't a shit show then what are you doing why are you training i mean well, if the dog the goes out and is perfect uh take a nap you're, yeah you're and done you're done <laughs> and the thing is is people need to see that the dog can still learn through yes. and like through a training session like that like yeah, this was a mistake and this was a screw up and the timing was off here and, you know, I clicked for the wrong behavior here. And guess what? At the end of the day, the behavior we were working on still improved. Yeah, it came together because dogs are resilient. I mean, as long, and again, we aren't usually, 99% of the time, I can say pretty much confidently, we're not using aversives. So because yeah. a dog is simply working for rewards, they screw up it's they're not their feelers aren't hurt they're not going off right. and sulking or calling the ASPCA they're like okay you need to help me because you're clearly an imbecile break it down maybe I need to break it down for you because you're not right. doing it right I want the treat show me how to get to the treat and because of that as long as you don't have a dog who just quits on you or you know you've built a terrible relationship with they're totally on board with Oh, good God, here she goes again. She doesn't know what the hell she's doing. I'm going to sit yeah. this out and watch her. And then when she's done, I'm going to try something and see if this plays out. And and there's no harm, no foul. And I think that's really valuable for people to see. Um, and that's why so many of my videos contain what they do, because I, it's it's important. I just shot a video a couple of days ago, just a stupid demo video of me like, this is a collar and this is how tight the collar needs to be. And this is a slip lead and this is why you use it. You know, one of those stupid videos. Mm -hmm. And I was using Cody, my shocking border collie. And I didn't have her in command at all. I was just, at, she was at large making her own decisions. And because she was making her decisions, the decision she made, I was sitting on the floor cross-legged with the camera facing me. And the decision she made was, mom is petting me. I will climb on her shoulder like a parrot and yeah. kiss her face. Yep. And so the, the video, and I'm, I'm going to publish it. I don't care because I, it, a, it happens. She's really cute. And yeah. it, it's not like she was so. biting me. So, and I eventually got the point across after I pushed her back to the floor and reminded her that she has four legs. But that reminded me the next time I need to do a video explaining the difference between allowing your dogs to be out of command and versus putting a dog under command. Obviously I could have put her in a downstay and done the whole video and right. I wouldn't have had any of that. But A, that's like a whole other step, talk about lazy training and B, who gives a shit. And I don't like putting my dog, I don't like living with dogs under command all the time. I don't have that kind of psychic space yeah. to remember who's on a sit stay and who's not. Right. So, yeah, and I, our, I agree. 
and aren't dogs the most marvelous creatures in the world in that they don't give two shits about learning a new behavior. They're just thrilled that they're there with us and we're interacting with them. And if you're yeah. not if you're not a monumental jerk about it, they they adore it. They eat it up. That's the best time of the day. That's their favorite time of the day. Even if they have no idea what it is you're saying, they don't care because you're there with them. And like, that's all their whole world right there. And I mean, if you look at it like that, it's kind of this fantastic ego boost of, wow, I completely screwed that up and dog has no idea and loves me to pieces. And now I look, and, and now I've got this completed behavior that makes me actually look like not an idiot. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's so, where I set the bar, not an idiot. So we were talking before about what to look for in a veterinarian. Can I just give you a prime example? Yes, please. Um, so one of the things, if you are a uh, um, responsible breeder, one of the things you do prior to your dog giving birth is you go and you get an x-ray so you can see how many puppies you're expecting, and that way you know if there's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I did this, um, went and had the x-ray. Now, given my training, all I really needed was the x-ray. I'm pretty good at finding how many puppy skulls and spines are in the picture, right? Well, and we guessed, I guessed better than them. Because yeah. I guessed four and they guessed five. Oh, well, I guessed five. Oh, I, bet, I guessed better than you did. Well, I guessed, guessed better three than originally. Me because yeah. the, the message that I got from where I went to get my x-ray was, We'll have the doctor take a look at these. It's really busy right now. They'll give you a call back. Uh-huh. I just got the call. <laughs> to d today? Three, yeah, three days after she had puppy. <laughs> Did you tell them the number is four? Uh, no, because it <laughs> they literally just called while we were talking here. Oh, um, no. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so find a veterinarian. Oh, that my God going to be on top of their messages a little better than that oh my well yeah because that would suck if you couldn't read x-rays i mean yeah i mean I if mean, i couldn't I, read x-rays i would have been calling them back and being like hello nobody got back to me so you know i didn't exactly follow up either but well you shouldn't yeah. have to that's not your job your job is not to track the veterinarian down so what but was i just want to point out that i guessed for i'm just yeah. going to point and that out you are correct and 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 for <laughs> that you win a dog um, no yay do i yeah, but you get later. Oh, I think I like later. I think I've, I think I've met later. Don't I like later? I think I've met. I don't her. know. I'm just. She did hurting. Time. She she was fine with that. Yeah, she did. Yeah, I'll trade you later for bubbles. No, mm mm. That's just mean. You know, no. you didn't. You could have at least paused. You could have at least said, huh? But no, 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 no. just rude that way. No. Well, I, I, and actually, that brings us to our next question because they are actually written down. <laughs> who are who are the dogs you live with? Who are the dogs? Who are the dogs of my neighborhood? In my neighborhood. Oh my God! There's nobody that's going to know that song except you and me. Anyway, um, well, we're the only people, some people who will listen to this anyway. So, okay, yeah, fair point. So, the dogs in my household right now that belong to me. Um, there is Jack. He is my 13-year-old pit bull lab mix who is must live live forever because he is the best dog in the world period full stop um there is trek i'm trying to go in age range and i just messed it up but anyway already there, yeah <laughs> carry on sorry i love all my kids equally um there is 
Trek, who is a double Merle um, Aussie. Um, yeah, for double Merle, for people who don't know, is is, is no bueno. That's not good. Um, it ends up, usually those dogs end up with issues like blindness or hearing loss or other health issues. He is lucky and dumb, so he has none of those issues. He's just real pretty. He's pretty. He's a pretty boy. He's just real pretty. And actually, that's a problem because he is really pretty. He's a really stunning-looking dog. And people and so like when that. I, yeah, and so when I take him out and people ask what he is, I'm like, a genetic disaster. Yeah, stay far away. Run away. Stay run far away. away. Yes, yeah. but he's, he's sweet. And then there is Tag, who is my border collie. Um, he is actually an ABCA registered border collie he came from what i call a hobby breeder which is like three steps up from a backyard breeder um they don't have that many steps yeah i don't know if there are either i just made that up but okay cool. uh, they had dogs that worked on their farm moving cows okay. and they would have like one litter a year and you know the, the puppies were exposed to farm life from the beginning so oh that sounds pretty yeah. good yeah so i can complain about that yeah not the worst situation in the world no. Um, then there is Mort, a.k.a. Lord Voldemort von Sissy Pants III. <laughs> because when you come into my house at 2.2 pounds, you need the most ridiculous name on the face of the planet. And I'd already determined that a dog that tiny needed an old man name. So Mort. Um, and he is. He's my six-pound long-haired chihuahua, who is fantastic. And then there is Later. And Later is my first dog that I've kept intact um, she is co-owned with her breeder um, and she's an Australian Shepherd as well and she is if you can have two heart dogs in the world she is my second one um, she yeah, is as many as you want yeah she is adorable and fantastic and smart and sweet and weird so flipping weird 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 is the only way to describe her and not like not weird as in like should you be medicated but like just quirky quirky weird um and i love her to pieces now she was one of the she's how old is she like three she's two two she's two yeah she but she you you raised her she's one she's the one of the first yeah. letters so yeah, she was the first her. litter that i raised out of the same um, mother who has puppies here now. <clears throat> so I've had her since literally the second she was born. I think it's cute that we've said dropped like 65 F-bombs, but you're worried about the word bitch. That was cute. Okay. I, well, it, it's <laughs> <laughs> only because like some people don't necessarily put the two and two together. So <laughs> you don't know that that's a technical name for a dog, then you're going to think I don't like dog. her mother. <laughs> You're calling her names. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So wait, so so your dog Tag. Yes. You have to explain the name for your dog Tag because of course I have a border collie named Tag too. And we can't be seen to be like that dorky. No. So um I think so one of my daughters named him Tag. And her reason for it was completely innocent and sweet and childlike, but the story I put together with it, because it happened shortly thereafter, is 
shortly after I got Tag, my brother came over to visit, and as he was walking up the sidewalk, Tag raced out to greet him and greeted him with both front feet and very targeted location. <laughs> and so that's what I always say is that's why he was named Tag, because it was Tag, you're it. But oh, yeah, fantastic. he's, he's, but mine's only one G, so we're not copying each other that much. No, because mine's two Gs, but no one, she doesn't write her name that often. It's pretty unusual. And mine is a she and yours is a he. You have a border collie that can't write its name. Come on now. Uh, well, she's only two. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's All a right. three, so yeah. You'll get on that. <laughs> okay, so what, if any, sports or what are you training for right now with any of these creatures? So... I've, I've dabbled in a bit of everything. I've not gone crazy in a lot of things because up until recently I was a vet tech, which meant I could buy groceries and that's about it. Um, which didn't really leave much for dog sports. So we've done rally, we've done dock diving, we've done barn hunt, herding. Um, I did one series of tracking with Mort, which was amazing. Um, really? Yes. He is six inches off the ground. What better dog for tracking? He was wow, really that's that's awesome. It was adorable, and he was really good at it too. <laughs> um, never underestimate the little ones. Yeah, I won't. I won't. And then, oh, we've done a ton of trick dog training. Um, trying to think, what else we might have done? Uh, we did one disastrous episode of agility which we will probably go back to it was disastrous because i set us up for failure um yes i think that story very much illustrates who you are <laughs> what don't normal people decide they're going to enter an event two weeks beforehand even though they've done zero training on it i think that that's exactly what normal people do yeah and that shows that you're incredibly normal yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was as you're reading the, like the directions like uh oh wait, wait what are the rules <laughs> i have to go to home depot right now and buy some pvc why i just signed us up for agility event in two weeks and i don't have any jumps okay <laughs> that's how that conversation went um yeah because i'm sure he's just like you know okay well, you know what just that's whatever whatever keeps you out of my hair a smile yeah. and nod, boys. Smile yeah, and nod. Exactly. Keep your crazy to yourself. Keep it keep it far away from me. <laughs> yeah. So really, I mean, I hesitated for a long time to get into agility, mostly because I cannot remember a course to save my life. That's why I do rally. It's numbered and the signs tell me what to do. Um, I have still screwed that up. Like massively screwed that up. Yeah, I mean it is possible, absolutely, but um yeah, so, but this, this, you know, the, oh, the heck with it, let's just do it episode into um, agility is kind of addicting. It really is. Um, and the the arena that we went into, they do number the course for you. Oh, so, oh that's nice. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, so that was kind of, that was kind of helpful. Um, I would love to do more herding. I need to understand it better. I feel like the lead weight around my dog's neck when it comes to herding. So. It's hard. It is. I think it's one of those things that you start off 
knowing nothing and then eight years down the road you realize that you actually know somehow less than you did when you started and you don't know how that transpired and, and yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about it is every year I work at it and I my dogs progress I mean so there's something happening yeah <laughs> if if nothing else they're just maybe watching videos on the on on YouTube when I'm not paying attention maybe that's it and then and then I I understand the very basic fundamentals but then every time I'm like oh I think I, I think I got this this very foundational thing fully understood then something comes along and they're like no no you're you're wrong on that I'm like oh, can't I know one thing? I'm trying to let them know one thing. I can't tell you one thing. There is not many dogs out there anymore who can herd worth a damn. Yeah. They're not from very narrow genetic lines. There you go. There's the one thing I know. Well, and I still and couched it like a total coward. <laughs> I didn't name well, breeds. And, and the thing is, too, like there's, there's, why should they what's the what's the need you no know, and i need. yeah yeah it's not I a need anymore so i agree yeah if you want to own a you know english sheepdog how much trailing a thousand sheep down the lane are you really going to be doing in your lifetime it's never really come up for me right personally. right and that's that's one of the reasons i love working with the breeder that i do is that um she has recognized that and is trying to find this happy medium of these dogs who can still do what it was that their heritage created them to do and also live in a home and be a well-adjusted dog. Um, and that's a big deal, especially from the Aussies I've seen. Right, right. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, later is weird, but she lives in the house just fine and if we train great and if we don't that's fine and her only joy in life her biggest goal is to crawl under my skin and live there oh, and probably like that and not in a bad way just like you're my person and i love you to the end of the earth and back and yet i can also take her out in a ring and put her with sheep and she goes right got this i know what to do and it so, is, except then she goes, okay, I know what to do, but what the fuck are you doing? And <laughs> then we she get... She holds a sign up, new owner needed. Yeah, and then the next thing I know, I have a sheep up my butt and a very confused dog and an instructor yelling at me to go left. And I'm like, I don't know which way left is anymore. Yeah. yeah. No, I do remember that. I remember that. I remember running backwards with, because when I started, our local herding instructor that no one can get in with, um, so that's not who you're going to. No. <laughs> um, she owned Angora goats. Those were her starter. They were the coolest goats. There were about six of them. And there's just some whopping big goats. And they have horns. So not only are you running backwards, because you have to, when you're starting off with herding, you, the goal is to have a picture of human, livestock, dog, in that order. Mm -hmm. And the dog, of course, is charging the livestock because they're like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing in the world. And you're running back. You're running backwards to try to keep, give the dog someplace to take the stock, which is they're at, coming at you. So you've got six goats with horns and hooves and a crazed maniacal dog. And you're in a round pen, so you can only go so far. And 
you're running backwards for all it's worth. You're trying not to get impaled by, sh by goat horns. You're trying not to end up with a goat on your foot while you try to run backwards because that causes you to fall on your ass, which I've done a multitude of times. And you've got an instructor screaming, go left, go right. There it is right there. And you can't remember right and left. And you also just crashed into a fence and you just got impaled in the ass with a goat. And you're thinking, you know what? I'm going to pay more money and do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I need to do this more. <laughs> okay, but did you see the video I shared the other day of the drone footage of the outrun of that one dog? That the hanging, I think it's hanging, uh, hanging, hanging tree. Hanging tree. Yeah. I've seen, I don't know if I've, I've seen one. Is that the one where the dog goes like hell and gone? Like it looks like Montana or some yellow grass place, and the yeah. cows are scattered over like six miles, and the dog is. Is that the one? It's it's. No, but it's very similar to that. So this is this dog's first. Um, oh, no, I haven't seen that Which, one. for people who don't know, an outrun is when you send the dog out to go initially gather all of the animals, right? And so it's his first one. And they generally do it out of sight of the handler. So it's just them out there with, in this case, like 200 head of cattle and instinct. And so these people at um, Hanging Tree Ranch have added drone footage to it, which herding makes so much more sense when you're looking at it from the top down oh yeah but as frustrated as i get with herding you watch this dog run probably three quarters of a mile full tilt happy as can be just like yeah going to get the cows and this little 40 pound dog got 200 head of cattle in a group and moving across the field like they meant it. And you could tell he was new because he kept losing, like the way the cattle were set up when he did his, when he did his outrun, he missed one. Oh, okay. It was back away from the group. And, you know, so the way he ran he just included almost, it. yeah, it just missed it. It included yeah. everybody, but almost him. And I think there was a ridge behind him too, which made it a little more difficult. And you could see the dog go back and forth with like, Come on, you need to get up with them. Oh, I can't, I can't lose them. Oh wait, crud! Look, seriously, move it. Let's go. Get up here. Let's move it along. Move it along. Move it along. And then once he got all of them together, it was just, it was like poetry, man. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's that dog doing it for the love of it, because there's no human there making him do it. There's nobody there making him do it. You know, it's just him and 200 cattle and him knowing what what's wanted it, was, it ugh, gives me goosebumps i love it i love it yeah, when no, we get to see yeah. animals do what it was that they were meant to do yeah because if his handler dropped out of a heart attack right then and there he would continue moving those stock all mm -hmm. day long until his legs fell off i mean because it's just they, they that's if i open my sliding glass my my front door cody is gone she she knows exactly where the goats or the sheep are she knows exactly where the ducks are the ducks are between here and the sheep, so she goes there first to stare fanatically at the ducks. And then if I pass the ducks, if I'm walking down towards the, the sheep, the second I get past the ducks, she unattaches from the ducks and sprints to the sheep. Uh -huh. And she, when we take the dogs on ATV runs, we have to go past the ducks and the sheep to do that. You have to call her off the sheep to go running with the other dogs with the ATV. Yeah, You have to call her. And the second she thinks the ATV might be turning around, she immediately starts back up the hill so that she can get back to the house first 
to stare fanatically at the sheep. I mean, that mm -hmm. is her, that is her life. She loves it. And so my goal is to just be somebody who doesn't interfere too much with her ability to do it properly. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, to stay out of her way. <laughs> one of my favorite stories was from a herding instructor in, um, they were, they, they were Canada. Um, I want to say Ontario, but I'm not entirely sure where their farm is located and huge farm. And they had sheep up in a, a pasture, like several, like two miles away from the barn, you know, like the, the top field mm -hmm. and a blizzard hit and like one of those blizzards where you can't see more than three feet in front of your face. Right. Mm -hmm. So they've got a huge flock of sheep and she can't move them all down to the barn at once because they'll get lost in the snow. It's just, it's, it's Going not too a, deep and too, it's yeah. too deep. And so she's got her dog and a walkie talkie and her husband down at the barn and she's peeling off 10 to 15 to 20 sheep at a time and sending them with the dog to the barn. And so she would say, you know, take them home. And the dog would take the sheep to the barn and her husband would send her back out, go get the sheep. She'd find her way back to mom two miles away, get 20 more sheep, take them back down to the barn. And they got all of the sheep in safe. Nobody got lost. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got sick. And so when you, when you talk to actual ranching and farm people and they'll tell you like a good dog is absolutely priceless. And that's oh, yeah. why, I mean, uh, yeah, that's what, I mean, everybody says the price, the value of a good herding dog is the price that you would pay for years for a ranch hand for one year. That's mm -hmm. how you have to look at it. So if you're going to pay a ranch hand $20,000, that's the value of a good herding dog. I think a yeah. Kelpie up in Australia went for 33,000 Australian dollars a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. I was like, you know, but it makes sense. I mean, it does. Cause you know, think of the losses that she would have sustained had that dog not been there. The, the, you know, if each sheep is worth $200, which, cause that's what they're worth, not here, but anywhere mm -hmm. else, uh, you know, 10 sheep's 2k. So, yeah. you know, the yeah. value of these dogs and, and, you know, on the other night we had a, a border patrol interdiction down below, well, a failed one. And we were all doing a play by play. We live on top of a mountain and if you live on top of a mountain, you have views down below you and, and you are more interested in what's going on around you than TV. What happens you all end up sitting on your deck and my neighbor, my closest neighbor is about a half mile away. And we were all watching a helicopter going back and forth on the highway below us, which is about seven miles away. And all the border patrol agents with their little flashlights and all the border patrol cars driving up and down the road. And you could see the dogs. And I guess they had dogs out until 6 a.m. But you watch those, and I love watching those Malinois do their job. I mean, I think they're Aww. just amazing dogs. So, you know, just think of what manpower that saves them. I mean, it's just, they're, yeah. they're amazing, amazing creatures. And I think that's what this podcast is about, is highlighting what amazing creatures these are. These, I mean, we live with a house wolf. I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how is that a thing? And you know what? It's it's amazing when they do things like that or, you know, gather 200 head of cattle 
sight unseen, that's fantastic. And you know what else is amazing? When you show up at the end of a day that has just been complete crap and you open the door and, you know, like throw down the bag and scream at your kid and, you know, kick your husband and your dog's like, hi, you're amazing and perfect and wonderful and beautiful and I love you. That's, that is just as freaking cool to me. Like the oh, thing. Absolutely. They yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. have no cares about anything else in the world except they're just happy you exist. And, and. Yeah. Good There's Lord, no one else good like for, that. <laughs> right. There, it's, it's good for the soul, man. That's just good for the soul. It is. Everybody should have at least one creature in their life that's just happy they exist, no matter what. Yeah. And the easiest thing is the dog. Yeah. So yeah. our last question, we'll do our last question. So uh -huh. what is your biggest training struggle? My biggest training struggle is I'm lumpy. I, I don't think that's shocking. No. Artists are lazy. Yeah. And as somebody who's, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being a lazy trainer. I think you could totally own that. I don't, there's, that's not a slur because I no. sometimes really own that as well. Because you can also call it efficient. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Except when it doesn't work. Except when it's too <laughs> lumpy and your dog yeah. is staring at you blindly like, okay, you're, I don't, I, 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 I don't, you're going to have to write this down. So it's funny, I have I had a friend that I trained with a lot before she moved, and the number of times I heard, you're lumping! I was like, oh, yeah, but she got it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's great until you try to make it more complicated, and then she doesn't get it. And I'm like, you have high expectations that I'm going to train something more complicated than that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I lumped this for a reason. I lumped yeah. it so I would never have to revisit this again. So, yeah. but for our one and only listener who is still listening, what is lumping? Oh, so when you are training a behavior, no matter what it is, you can either split it into tiny approximations of that behavior and slowly progress through those tiny approximations until you get to the behavior that you want. Or you can send out mental signals to your dog, hope they pick it up and just aim for the finished behavior. Really, right I, can't, I can't see why one would be better than the other. I really can't, can't understand why. I am thoroughly convinced I can catch and capture any behavior I want. And it will be efficient. Oh, my mm. God. That's the best. Yes. So, um, <laughs> yeah. It ends up with some pretty interesting behaviors and, and quite frankly, a lot of frustration on the dog's part I have tried to get better about it if if I'm seeing like I'm at least mentally aware enough now that if I'm seeing behaviors that I don't want or I'm like where the hell is that coming from they at least now have the red flag that goes up and goes you're probably lumping so I'm just impatient I'm really impatient um, I think that's reasonable I don't think that's I, I think that most I think that most people, when they're training their dogs, um, struggle struggle with that. They they see the end picture. They know where they want to go. Um, and for a lot of people, now some people are just told geeks about foundations, and we need more people like that in the world. But there are other people who look at foundations as a thing that you get through to get to the cool stuff, and then the cool stuff is had better be cool 
really, really fast. Yeah, well, and my thing is, is I, I own go fast dogs, so yes. I want the training to go fast as well. Yes. And then I'm sure they insert their own behaviors when you're not going fast enough for them. Yeah, and, and because I don't have a plan and I'm not that disciplined of a trainer and I want things to go fast, if they offer me a behavior that I think is cool, I'll be like, okay, cool, we'll use that one instead. Let's, let's train that one. So I'm easily distracted, I'm impatient, and I'm lumpy. So I was teaching Tag. Oh, no, I was teaching Cody. I decided I was going to try tribal. Is that how you say it? Tribal? Yeah, uh, sure. Tribal, tribal, whatever. The fake herding sport that involves those sit-on balls, those exercise uh -huh. bouncy balls. Yep. So I was going to teach her how to push the ball with her nose. It's really the fundamental of this thing. I never pursued it because, well, it looked like it took effort on my part. Anyway, we got to the point where we could get her to push it. And then I decided perhaps I should train directions and stuff like that. So while I was screwing around with what should I train next, Cody is, of course, saying, look, I've got this ball and I've got all sorts of behaviors. And mom is standing there staring like a dipshit. So I'm going to start offering behaviors. And so she put her front feet on the ball and attempted to get her hind leg on the ball. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so I fed her like 600 uh -huh. <laughs> treats for this offering, which, of course, is absolutely the not desired behavior for tribal. They are not permitted to chuck their feet on top of it. Um, and then Tang, of course, today was running all over the dog spot with a football or a soccer ball in her mouth mm -hmm. because, uh, yeah, she doesn't push it with her nose because that's just ludicrous. Why, when you can pick it up with your teeth and run around the building with it? Well, so. I had with my second Aussie, I was trying to teach him directions left and right, go mm -hmm. around. And I didn't have any fancy training equipment like a traffic cone. So I are hard to find. <laughs> yeah. So I used so fancy. The, I used the wheelbarrow. Okay. Hey, okay. whatever. I was training, right? Yeah. However, because I'm a lumper, um, <laughs> he was getting confused. And he kept getting stuck in the handles of the wheelbarrow. Oh. Like he'd go into the handles. And then he was like, <laughs> I can't go anymore. I can't go. <laughs> And so finally he got so frustrated, he jumped in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> and then I was immediately like, that's amazing. And, you know, gave him 4,700 <laughs> treats. And that progressed to, I could push him around the yard in the wheelbarrow and he would just go for a ride. And that's way cooler than right and left anyway. Yeah, honestly, it kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, that's all I have. So I think that's a lot. That's a good introduction to who you are and how ridiculous we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, if anybody listened to the end, I don't know, they should like receive a prize. <laughs> yeah, they should contact somebody else about that prize. But absolutely, yeah, I know. they yes. should. They should yes. receive a prize. Buy, buy a lottery ticket. That's the best way to get a prize. There you go. There yeah. you go. You get, I like that. And you get a free ticket after you bought it. So. Okay, awesome. Well, that's all I have for today. All right, mm -hmm. sounds good. Well, it was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you as well. Have a good evening. Yes. Bye. Bye. All right, so 